bigger than anything going on with her leg. Lord, you are the healer. It's who you are. So, Lord, we ask you to touch her. Cover her with your blood, Lord Jesus, and heal her. Consume her with your healing power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm actually going to switch gears here a little bit. And speak about something that I was not planning on speaking about. This has been big in my spirit, and um, I actually, actually talked about this this morning with an international group, and um, so I want to I wanna look this up. All right, I can't find it, so I'll have to do it by memory. Um, let me go to First uh, Samuel chapter 14. Yep, I'm going to have to do that. Okay, it's okay, I got a mind like a steel trap. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll see how... How still trappish it is. <clears throat> just, just kidding. It's none of those things. Okay. This is what I get for changing it. All right, so um, I can't think where it is right now, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, what, where is it? Somebody, you can look it up. Where is the story of um, of uh, King Saul sacrificing, and God said obedience is better than sacrifice. You can look that up real quick. So here's, here's what happens. King Saul comes to, so he's fighting the Amalekites. And um, he is, um, God told him to destroy the Amalekites. Completely eradicate them, kill them. And, and everything, leave nothing alive is the way that God told him to do this, right? And, uh, and, and he didn't do that. He left, first he left King Agag alive. And uh, that was not what God asked. 
And then he left. This is the way he explains it to Samuel, because Samuel shows up, and he's upset about this. And he says to Samuel, he says, um, well, I left the best of all of these animals, the sheep, the goats. I left the best of these animals so that I could sacrifice to God, right? And uh, what would you say? Oh, what did I say? Man, I was so close. I got like most of the tooths in my steel trap mind. Yes, okay. So, um, <clears throat> so down in verse 10, this is where we come into this. God tells Samuel that, that he's frustrated. So verse 10, it says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. You know, that's a, I don't, I don't want God to ever say that about me. I'm sorry that I ever made Scott whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm sorry that I put him in that position or whatever. Um, I don't think there could be anything worse than that. But uh, he says, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he hasn't been loyal to me as refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. It's always been interesting to me in this story that Samuel was more concerned about how God felt about Saul than King Saul was concerned about God felt about Saul. It, it, Samuel was deeply concerned about this, heartbroken over this. Saul didn't, it didn't bother him. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel, set up a monument to himself, then he went down to, on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. Now, Samuel didn't ask Saul anything. He just comes up and Saul greets him. But this is what Saul says. And it, it kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, a, a, a six-year-old. When, you, when they know they've done something wrong and, and mom or dad walks in the room, they start answering all the things that they knew you didn't want them to do, right? That, that's exactly what it sounds like to me. He greets him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. First, he starts off with the things that he wants to hear, right? He thinks Sammy wants to hear. Like, Mom, when you walk in, that six-year-old says, My, you look good today, Mom. When your child says that to you, they've done something wrong, right? May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. No, you didn't carry out the Lord's command, Saul. That's why, you're, that's why your first statement to Samuel is how you did this, because you didn't. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Saul demanded? It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. It, you know, it's true that the army... Who, who's in charge of the army? Saul. King Saul. Why is he? Oh, you know, the army did this. I don't know why. That army, right? Uh, <clears throat> but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, guys, here's the key to where I'm going to go with this tonight. Uh, verse 17 is the key. Although you may think a little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. Samuel handles a bunch of stuff all in that sentence. One is, Saul, stop blaming on the army. You're the one that's in charge. You've been anointed the king. You're the authority here. One of, the, one of the worst things, I think, when you're in position of power, responsibility, leadership, anything like that, one of the worst things you can do is blame others. 
The buck stops with you. You, Every single thing that happens in this church with our leadership, our staff, everything, it it all stops with me. I can say whatever. I can blame whoever I want, but it's, it's, it's at my feet because ultimately I'm in charge of all this. So... So I can't say, well, Rick did. Rick is doing what he is expecting me to think he should be doing. That doesn't even sound right, but you know what I'm saying. Um, The the staff, they're they're doing what I, the direction that I set down. If I don't set that down, then the staff is going to do different things, right? Um, it, it, It stops with me. It's the same way. The same way, I, this is one of the things that irritates me sometimes I hear with, with husbands. Well, my wife, don't, don't do that. First, your responsibility as a husband is to protect your wife, to cover your wife. And if you say, well, she, I didn't know she was going to say that. Well, then you should figure out your wife a little better or something. I know that's a, that's a Pandora's box right there. But, <laughs> but I mean, really... Well, my wife or my kids or whatever, specifically, specifically husbands, if God says you're the head of the household, if you're the head of the household, then own that. Don't, don't, it's, I think it's horrible to blame your wife. Um, and he says, Saul, you're the one that's in charge. But here's the key that he says at the beginning. Although you may think little of yourself, I really believe that our insecurities drive most of what we do. When people say, well, I don't really have any insecurities. One of your insecurities is apparently truth. Right? Um, we all have insecurities. Every, every, every human being has things that we're insecure about. Whether emotional things or relational things or, or physical things or um, some type of competencies or whatever. We have, we have things that are insecurities. And we worry about what people are thinking about us. We worry about how, how people are seeing us or perceiving us. Now, my insecurities are not going to be the same as yours, but, but we both have them. And, and it's going to drive you if you're not careful. It, what, what is the best way? This is a nice little pausing point here. What's the best way to combat your, your uh, insecurities from guiding you or controlling you? And you may say, well, I personally do it this way. I think there's some personal ways we do that, but I think there's some macro ways too. What are some ways that we keep our insecurities from driving us? I, I really think that's the, the starting point for, for it all. Um, if, if you, and this is where I'm going with this, so I'll just jump right to it. If you really surrender and submit yourself to God, then it becomes very challenging for Satan to use your insecurities against you. Because God is, the, God is your reason. God is your purpose. Right? This, is, this is the thing. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the weekend, and, and um, I really want to really hammer this home. Is I think we make a lot of choices in our life, but at the end of the day, the, the choice, and it's not choices, it's choice. There's going to be something that is your number one priority, that is your, that is your foundational driving direction. There's some 
trajectory that you are on. We all have this. What do, what do you want most out of life? And these don't have to be bad things, by the way. I'll use myself as an example. As I, I used some of these a couple weeks ago. But as a pastor, um, if my desire is to pastor a great church, well, that's not a bad thing. Now, everybody defines great church different, right? How you may define that or how the pastor may, down the road may define that, it would be different than the way I define that. I don't want to pastor a great church. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a noble thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, well, I want to be successful. Whatever, however you define successful. Um, when I, wa- I want to be a, the, the term we use nowadays, I want to be an influencer. Um, I was joking with our board down in Texas at the university down there. And the president of the university was there. And, and, um, and I, t- I told him, we, I was joking, messing with him a little bit. Because everybody was using all this, you know, hip new language. Influencer. I want to be an influencer. And I told him, I said, President Bridges, I want to be an influencer. He said, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> I said, yeah, I didn't tell you how I want to influence. Just that I want to influence. Um, so, so we say things like that, right? Well, I want to be, I want to be a, an influencer. I want to be a person of um, change or however we use these terms. But here, here is the question with that. How do you define each of those things? And here's where it comes down to is I think all those are fine choices for life. The problem is, is you really only get one major choice in life. And that choice or that direction or that foundation or that priority sets the trajectory for your life. Okay, let me use, let me, use me again as a pastor. If my desire is to pastor a great church then that become everything I do is, is determined by that objective. And so how I preach, how I lead, um, what I don't preach are all determined by that. And then you have to define, well, what do you consider a great church? Is that, a, is that an influential church? Is that a wealthy church? Is that a powerful church? Because to say great church is too ambiguous. You've got to have... There has to be, you can have a bunch of stuff, but somewhere there's a tip of that. There's a driving tip of that that's going to guide your decisions. And if my decision is I want to be the pastor of a great church, I want to pastor or build a great church, however you want to say that, then if I don't see that end game, that end goal being realized the way that I, I want it to be realized, I will begin to change what I'm doing so that I can match that goal. Or, or most people would intelligently try to do that, right? If this is my end goal, then I'll do this and this, okay? So pick anything in life. Let's say, let's say um, um, you're the, the uh, coach of the Denver Broncos, okay? First, you're not doing a very good job. Um, I don't even know who the coach is, but... Uh, but here's the thing with that. If you say, okay, I want to go to the Super Bowl, then everything you do will have that as the end goal. You understand what I'm saying? So the kind of players that you get will be determined by this. Well, I want to go to the Super Bowl. So what happens when you come up with player A 
that is a little bit better athlete than player B, but this person is very immoral, very broken, corrupt. And this person is very solid, but what is your goal? Your goal is win the Super Bowl. It's not to have a moral team. Okay? You say, well, you can have both. But you get one choice. This is what we don't understand in life, is you get one choice. You get one trajectory in life. And there's a lot of things that can be a part of this, a lot of things that are supporting. But at the end of the day, you're going to be shooting for what is your number one priority. If your number one priority is wealth, then you will do a lot of things to make sure that you have wealth. Okay? This is one of the things that we see in society today is that... um, um, people, and th- this is not a people person or corporation issue, it's both. People will jump around from job to job to job or whatever the case is in ways that is a new, it's really a kind of a modern phenomenon that didn't exist for a long time. You know, just switch jobs, switch jobs, because why? At the end of the day, uh, being in a job and supporting that or doing whatever is not the goal. It's something else. It's either making money or, or having the position that you want or whatever. It's not, it's not staying in that job and, and supporting whatever that is. Okay? It's, yes. And so, so what happens is, is you begin to do. So let's go back to the church. If pastoring a great church is my priority, then I will begin to do things to make sure that pastoring a great church, however I define that, is accomplished. You say, well, I I want to pastor a great church, and these are the five things that I want to accomplish. At the end of the day, that's not realistic. One of those is actually your defining purpose, and the others are part of the mix, and either you've added those because you think they're important to get that number one thing there, or because you're supposed to. Do you understand what I mean by that? Well, you're supposed to have five goals, not one. Okay? Very few pastors come out and say, I want to have the biggest church in the city. But many pastors, that is their heart. They want to have the biggest church in the city, or the biggest church in this part of the city, or the biggest church on this hill. <laughs> right? And we're, and we're holding strong with that. So, so what your defining direction in life is, and, and again, this is where it'll kind of get muddy in our head, and you say, no, I want, to, I want this, I want this, I want this. One of the things in your life is more important than all the others. Now, those others can be very close, but there's going to be one thing in your life that really drives you more than anything else. And that's your trajectory. That's where you're headed. And you will, you will do whatever it takes to get that. So here is what I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and this is what I think is wrong with, with Saul here. Look at this. He said, um, although you think little of yourself, God is the one who anoints you to be king. Verse 18, the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Well, why did, why did Saul not destroy everybody? He left King Agag alive. He said, um, why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush for plunder and do what was evil? He said, but I did obey the Lord. Now, what did he say? Completely destroy the Amalekites. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carry out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everybody else. 
Well, did you destroy everybody or did you not destroy everybody? Well, I, I did destroy everybody. And I brought back King Agan. Which is it, Saul? Which did you do or not do? Yeah, King, King Agag was definitely different in Saul's eyes. Now, why was King Agag different? Let me give you a little, little um, history here in this time frame. We, we still do the same things today, but in different ways. But this was a very common thing uh, in, this, in this context. Okay, You left the king alive. And then you cut off the king's big toes, and you cut off the king's thumbs. And you, and you bound up the king's hands, and you would set the other kings that you have conquered before you in, the, um, in like the, the uh, public hall where the throne room is. And so when somebody walked in, or they'd be off to the side... When somebody walked in, they would look over there and they would see four or five kings bound up with no thumbs and no toes, no big toes. And, uh, and that was a determination of the power, the conquering power of the king. Right? Remember when, when Saul and David went out to war, what did, they, what, did they, what did the people shout when they came back? Saul is the, is the, um, is the defeater or the... the um, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And now, uh, David's on the run, and King Saul has proven that he's the king. And one of the ways he does that is he has other kings in submission to him that he has conquered. Except here's the, the, the tricky little thing with King Saul is he didn't conquer King Agag. Who did? God did. So, so he decides, although God gave him the victory, God told him how to do this, he decides, well, I'm going to king, keep King Agag alive. Because why? Because Saul has a direction and a priority. It's just not God's. It's not what God told him to do. He's got different plans. And he also leaves all the, um, the other. He says, Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He's telling Samuel, Lord, your God. At least he's perceptive enough to know that God is walking away from him. He says, We're going to use all these animals to sacrifice to God. One of the things that I am becoming more and more aware of every day that I do this political thing is that it's amazing how easy it is for um, people in positions of power to spend other people's money. So, so easy to do. Well, let's just spend, let's, let's send $40 um, billion to Ukraine. Why? Why would we do that? Well, it's the right thing to do. Is it? Is it the right thing to do? 
Because now our inflation is going up and people in our country are now struggling, but we're sending money to a tyrant called the president of Ukraine. I know that Russia is the bad guy here. I get that. Russia invaded Ukraine. But Zelensky was a tyrant. But now he's the innocent victim and he's playing that card. But Zelensky is the exact same thing as Putin. The only difference is Putin is bigger, bigger country. The, the problem is you've got innocent people in Russia and in Ukraine, but Putin is a tyrant and Zelensky is, an, is a tyrant. Go back and, and look at Zelensky's past. He has, he has people murdered all over his country just because he wants to. What's the difference between that and Putin? The difference is Putin's got a bigger army. I mean, literally, that's the, that's the only deciding difference. And so we do this kind of stuff. We spend other people's money. Well, it seems very simple for Saul here. I'm going to sacrifice to God using the Amalekites' animals. The problem with this is Saul thinks that God is interested in the sacrifice of the animals. It's like, a, it's like a, um, a secret formula to get God to do what you want him to do, right? Well, you sacrifice the animals, and it worked. He, he, you know, Samuel would come sacrifice the animals, and they'd win the battle. Samuel would sacrifice the animals, and they'd win the battle. And so then Saul says, well, let's do this. Let's sacrifice these animals. They belong to the Amalekites, and God really likes animal sacrifices, so we'll keep all these animals and sacrifice, and we'll win the next battle. Except that's not the purpose behind sacrificing. That's not the purpose. The purpose is you, your soul, your life, your surrender, your submission. And so then you pick out the best of your animals, not somebody else's animals. How easy it is, how easy is it for me to tithe you than somebody else's money? And I can tithe a whole lot more if I'm if I'm using Rick's money. I'll tie 40, 50%. I'm good. You talk about having a giving spirit. I'll be all about giving with Rick's money. This is, this is sad that Saul thinks this is the point of this. But here, here's the thing. Is Saul has confused the concept of sacrifice with relationship. The point is the relationship with God. The point is the surrender and the obedience and the, and the giving of yourself. How's he done that with the Amalekites' animals? And the fact that God specifically said, don't do that. That's the other side of that. So, he says, I did obey. But then verse 22, and this is, this is the, the verse that we, um, that, w- that we remember the most out of this. He says, what's more pleasing to the Lord? This is Samuel talking to Saul. What's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offering and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrificing animals is not the point, Saul. It's you. You're the point. And then he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebelling against what God has said is just like witchcraft. I had this conversation. I've had this conversation with a handful of people, um, even in the last year, year and a half. Is and and then the reason I, the reason I say it this way is because um, God has really worked on me a lot over the years with this, and I and I'm I'm assuming that I will probably have to readdress this at different times in my future because 
of my, um, my personality. My, how, see, here's the thing. You've heard me talk about this. Some of the things, well, the things that make you great will also be the things that are be, be your biggest issues. They'll be your biggest stumbling blocks, your biggest temptations. The things that make you great will, will also, because why? Why is that? That's part of it is you just don't understand why everybody else is not the same way, right? But, but I, think there's a, I think there's probably a bigger reason for that. Um, and, and here's the thing with that is you're, you're naturally wired that way by God, okay? These are natural giftings or ways that God is gifting you, maybe not like personality naturalness, but God is gifting you. And what will happen is you will begin to rely on the ability and the understanding you have to do that or accomplish that or whatever, instead of leaning on the Lord for that. So the very thing that God gives you to be used by him the most, you stop letting him use it and you start using it instead of him using it. Okay? Um, my, my favorite thing to pick on over the years when it comes to this is um, uh, I believe that God hardwired Eddie Van Halen to play the guitar. Hardwired him. He was just so natural. He was just, and he would do things nobody else would do in his time and frame and everything. But here's the problem is he used it his way according to his desires and his abilities. But, but God gave him that gift. Music is a gift God gives. It's not something that Satan can't give it. Um, only thing Satan can do is twist it and use it for him, for him rather than use it for God. And so it made Eddie Van Halen great. The problem is it didn't make him great for God. That's the difference, Right? Because you, you rely on you within your giftings and abilities. You rely on you. And so here's one of the things that I know is a, um, it's a strength. I didn't realize this years ago. I've grown into this. I didn't understand this years ago. But I realize that God has, um, he's hardwired me to see this, to understand it, and then to uh, stand up against it and fight it. And that is God has designed me to be a reformer, to look at situations and say, this is not okay. We've lost our way. Let's get back to, and, and obviously using this for God, let's get back to what God is saying rather than what we're doing. And that, that's why I think some of the stuff over the last few years that, that have seemed very obvious to me, and some people don't see them as obvious as I think they should, is because I think God has wired me that way to some extent, right? So, so here's the problem is I have to constantly be saying, God, help me be a reformer and not walk in rebellion. Those are very close together. Very, very close. And you've got to be able to see that and recognize that. Because I know where it is so easy for me to just be, um, you know, you, the, the old movie Rebel Without a Cause. I don't struggle with that. I got lots of causes. I got pages of causes. And what I have to do is recognize the difference between God calling me to reform and to, to bring people to knowledge and understanding of God and keep us focused on that so we don't get caught up in the woke stupidity of today or the, or the sin mentalities that the world embraces or whatever. And let's, let's reform. Let's bring, you know, let's come back to God, get on our face before God. Kind of Second Chronicles um, chapter 7, right? We'll humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. That's... 
I know that God uses me that way in a, in a large extent, not just like here at our church, guys, but um, I see that God uses me in, in wherever I go with this. It's, it's become very evident to me nowadays. I didn't understand this 15 years ago. But what happens is, is then I go into these settings, and um, if people don't respond, uh, I push toward feeling like I have to make people which is now stepping into the arena of rebellion. I'm going to do it my way. Well, God called me to do it his way. If I'll just do it his way, I'll be fine. Or to step into a situation that doesn't, that God is not calling me to have a reformer mentality within that context, but I still see their issues (laughs) because I'm still hardwired that way. And so I began to speak against the issues, but God is not calling me to do that in that setting. Well, that's... That's now I'm stepping into the arena of rebellion, right? Just because you, just because you have a natural gifting or, an, or insight that God gives you in something doesn't mean that you use it in every circumstance on, on at, at whatever because God still has a plan. That's why one of the, the most interesting little things in Acts is when, when uh, Paul has, has got his plan, he's going from city to city, he knows where he's going, and he starts to go into this one city, and he says, the Holy Spirit told me last night not to go into that city. He does not tell us why. He just said the Holy Spirit, to, and he may not have known why, but he said the Holy Spirit told me not to go into that city. But Paul, you're an evangelist. You, you witness, you build the church, you plant the church. You are a true po- apostle. You need to go into that. But the Holy Spirit told me not to. And it's important that we recognize the difference in the two. What, what, is, what is your gifting being used by God? Now let's come back to the mentality of, of this, this church kind of thing. Well, God wants me to pastor a great church. That's not a bad thing. The problem is, is if that is your choice, if that is the direction you are going, you will compromise certain things to make sure you establish that church the way you think is defined as a great church, whatever it is, okay? This is where compromise comes in. Compromise will begin to work into your life because you are on a trajectory that you have designed rather than what God has designed. Because here's what I know. Now this, you talk about, if I was in a, in a room full of pastors and I said this, I'd have so many pastors upset that I would even hint at this. But here's what I know. God has not called anybody ever on the planet to build a great church. He uses them to do that, but that's not their call. That's not the direction. He has not called anybody on this planet to win the loss of the planet. You're like, well, yeah, he has. It's in the Great Commission. What is our primary call and objective for every single human being? These are all things... Worship God is part of what we're supposed to do, but that's not our primary call. Make disciples is what we do because we are responding to our call. This is where it gets a little tricky because our minds don't normally think this way. We are ultimately called to submit and surrender to God under all circumstances. And so God asks me, 
Scott, are you willing to submit to me? That's the question. And, and when I answer that question, it is to the exclusion of all other questions. Now, that doesn't mean that all the other arenas are excluded. In fact, a lot of arenas are brought to the table. Making disciples of the nations is brought to the table when you surrender and submit to the Lord. And here's my argument with a lot of pastors across the country is, if your primary goal is not to completely surrender and submit to God, then you can actually build a paradigm of church ministry or pastoral leadership or whatever that does not include winning the lost. Because your primary goal is actually something else, like building a church, or having this great ministry, or being a great author, or whatever the case is. And those things become your goal and direction, because that's your trajectory. Instead of saying, God, I, I am called to submit and surrender to you. What did he say to, to Saul? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience, let me, let me change the context of the word sacrifice, the, word, the definition, because he's talking about sacrificing animals, right? But we understand since Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, then when Jesus says this to us, obedience is better than sacrifice, and he's not talking about sacrificing animals. In, in fact, really what you can go to is Romans 12 where he says you become a living sacrifice. Obedience is better than you sacrificing for Jesus, Obedience is better than you doing the work of the ministry. Obedience is better than you witnessing. Obedience is something. Now you say, but you always talk about witnessing. Yes, because when you completely submit and surrender to Jesus, you will begin to witness. You will. But when you have got a different a, an idea of Christianity or something else, and this is where this is where the church gets so off base, where we where we like like I was saying, where I, I hear these in sermons and I see this in, in books and everything else, that our primary responsibility to the Lord is to worship Him. No. Worship is a response to something. Worship comes from the heart of somebody that is submitted. Worship naturally flows out of submission. Okay, that's why uh, um, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says to husband and wife, submit to each other. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But before it says that, two verses earlier, it says, submit to each other. Why? Because if you submit to each other, you'll serve each other the way you need to. You'll love each other the way. The things that he talks about next, next submission and, and loving and all this, those things will happen when you completely surrender to each other. This is not my marriage. It is God's marriage. He's the one who has called me to this. He's the one who has called me to submit and surrender. But, but I love him. I love her. Who cares? That is not on the top of God's list. That doesn't make the top of the list. Well, I don't. This is why when I hear, and I've heard this so many times over the years, couples come in. Well, I don't, I don't love them anymore. Why? You, you know what the simple answer, and I usually do say this. I try to say it nicely, but sometimes I can't help it. You know why you don't love them anymore? Because you love you too much. That's the reason. You fall in love with you more than you love them. And here's the reason, because you don't love God. That's the simplicity of it. When you love God, you will submit to your spouse and you will love your spouse. 
Because love is a choice, it's not a feeling. Now here's the reality for us. When, when we say to God, God, I submit and surrender to you. When he says, will you let me have your life completely? Yes. Now we say that, we talk about that like that's getting saved. The problem is, is we've made getting saved so such a simple little thing to do. It's a little quick prayer and all this kind of stuff that we don't really address the fact that we're giving him our life. It's not really talked about and preached and taught too much. I'm giving him me. This, this, um, this idea, well, well, the gift of grace is free and salvation is a free gift. Yeah, okay, except what is the, what is the currency for you? It's you. You say, well, I don't have to earn salvation. No, but you have to give you. Well, I don't have to work for it. You're right, but you give you. You become a living sacrifice. You are what you hand to God in the salvation contract. He gives you everything. He gives you forgiveness, his blood, relationship with God, um, freedom, liberty, all this other kind of stuff. But you have to give him you. And we miss that. We, we leave that out of the conversation. And so, so when we say, okay, come back to the, to the pastor in church, it's easier to do that than deal with a, a bunch of different subjects. But so, so when I say, what is my goal? It is not to build a great church. It is to surrender and submit to God. And here's where we like to, this is where we like to take it next because of our, our humanistic approach to Christianity. We almost can't say it without saying this. Then we say, well, then God, once you submit, submit and surrender to him, then God will help you build a great church, which could be true, but it's not necessarily true. Well, if I will submit and surrender to God, then God will um, give me all the blessings and I will be wealthy. That might be true, but it's not necessarily true. Do you, do you understand? Years ago, I had this guy come into my church, and he, um, he came in, he was a drug addict, came in, and, um, and it was in the middle of the week, came and knocked on the door, opened the door, and he says, I opened the door, and literally, the first thing he says is, I need Jesus. That's a good start. It makes my job a lot easier. Right? So we go into my office, we talk about this, we pray, he gives his heart to the Lord, God immediately um, breaks his addiction, and he has no addiction to drugs immediately at that point. Okay? We didn't even really pray about that. We prayed, God, take his soul, his life. He surrenders himself to you. So a few days later, you had another knock on the door at the church, and this other guy's standing there. And he said, I'm so-and-so, the first guy. I'm so-and-so's cousin. He said, he told me I could come here to get off drugs. Well, here's the problem, is first, that wasn't the first guy's goal, although that was a driving force for it. When I opened the door for the first guy, he said, I need Jesus. The second guy said, I need to get off drugs. And I told him, I said, well, I'll pray for you about that, but we're not a rehab center. And I've had people pick on me. Well, you could tell him he could get off drugs, drugs if he accepted Jesus. I'm not saying that's not true. What I'm saying is his goal was to get off drugs, not to accept Jesus. And so we talked about it for a while, but I could tell, and he did pray to accept Jesus, but I could tell in the conversation that accepting Jesus wasn't something that he was really interested in. 
If that was going to help him get off drugs, he would try that as well as all the other options that were available to him. But, but he wasn't surrendering himself to Jesus. Now, we still prayed, and I know I've seen God do things like this where we still prayed God would get him off drugs, but it didn't, that didn't happen for him. And I tried to explain to him while he was sitting there, until you get to the point where you need Jesus more than you need anything, including getting off drugs, you're going to struggle in all the things that you try to accomplish. And guys, this is where the church is really struggling right now in America today, is we want Jesus to help us do a bunch of stuff, not submit and surrender to Jesus. And I'm talking about even pastors and things like that. Jesus, I want you to help me build a great church. I want you to help me be a person of influence. I want you to help me do this. I want you to help me be a, a leader and an author and, a, and, and, and preach better and all this other stuff. The problem is, is that's actually your driving goal, and it's not submission to Jesus. And then five years, 10 years, 15 years later, that's why these pastors are cheating on their spouses or embezzling money or doing everything else because that is, a, that is part of a potential success for actually where they're headed. If your goal is to submit and surrender to Jesus, you don't cheat on your spouse. If, you're, if your goal is to um, pastor a big church, then cheating on your spouse may be an option along the way. You say, well, how could it be? Because that's your goal. A big church is your goal. It's not a people serving God. It's a big church. Well, we, we want to be a powerful church in the city. Okay, then you'll compromise when it comes to people of money or, or authority or something within the city. My natural instinct, if you've got two people that walk in the church at the same time, and one of them you can tell is really wealthy and successful, and one of them is not, my natural instinct is to gravitate toward the person that is not. T to a fault. And I've had pastors tell me, I'm, you think these conversations don't happen, but they do. I've had pastors tell me, yeah, but you need to make sure that you um, minister to and connect with those wealthy people because they can help you connect with those people. That's, that's a lie Satan tells that's a lie that gets in our spirit because at the end of the day, we're concerned about money and, and position, and we're not really concerned about the person that we say we're connecting with this person to reach. And that's also, by the way, exactly the opposite of the way Jesus said to it, right? So, so what is our direction? What is our goal? What is our passion? You say, well, I want to I have a successful business, this is just my suggestion. Rather than make that your priority, make your priority submitting to God under all circumstances. And then as God leads you in this, because God may want you to have a successful business. That's, that may be part of how he uses you or, or a major defining thing in your life. But the moment you make it your defining thing, you are no longer making Jesus your defining thing. When you submit and surrender to Jesus, he can make all the other things happen. But here's where you have to go into, and this is where it gets difficult for us, because this is not modern, this is not popular modern church talk, is if you submit and surrender to Jesus and he has no intention of accomplishing that thing that you want to see accomplished, you have to be okay with that. That's where it's difficult. Well, I want to pastor a great church. Well, 
if I submit and surrender to the Lord, first, I really doubt that most Western Christian pastors define great church the same way Jesus defines great church. That's the starting point where we're already confused, okay? Um, but if we get to the point where we're saying, Jesus, I submit and surrender to you, and he says, okay, this is what I want you to do, and it's not where or how or whatever, that's where it becomes a struggle to us. Years ago, I was sitting in a, in a coffee shop, a... Um, a cafe, not a coffee shop like nowadays. This was, this was 30 years ago. I was sitting in this little greasy diner. And um, my pastor and I were sitting there. We're drinking real coffee out of real coffee cups with none of the other stuff, just coffee. I know some of you are like, what? What is this, this craziness you're speaking of? In fact, back in those days, you didn't put cream and sugar in your coffee if you were a man. You think I'm joking, but I'm not joking. My, my grandfather was adamant about this. I'd, I'd get a cup of coffee, and if I started to put milk in, he said, you want a milkshake? You want coffee? I'll just, I'll just drink it like this. And then you're like, you know. But then you grow a taste for it, like, you know, cocaine. So, so we're sitting in this little greasy diner, and, and um, my pastor had been, years before had been in the Army, I believe, and and, uh, and I was in the Navy at that time. I was in the reserves. And, and he's sitting there and he said, um, he said, when the Navy tells you to go to this ship and you're going to be on this ship and you're going to go out to sea here or whatever you do, he said, what do you do? I didn't understand what he was saying. And I was like, I go get on that ship? He said, Yeah. He said, what if you don't want to go on that ship, but you want to go on this ship? I said, they don't care. And he said, so if the Navy says to you, go here, what do you do? I said, I go there. He said, what if the Navy says, go over here? What do you do? I said, I go over there. He said, do you get to choose any of that? I said, not only do you not get to choose that, but specifically at my rank, it would be a bad idea to even suggest it. And he said, exactly. He said, now, if you can always make sure that your service to God is the exact same way, you'll do fine. If God says, go over here, you go over there. If God says, go over here and do this, you go over there and do that. I mean, yeah, I guess you can tell God, God, this is what I'd like to do. The scriptures tell us that God want to give, gives you, wants to give you the... Um, the uh, desires of your heart, but I really believe if you really look at how that scripture is written specifically in the Hebrew, I really believe that what he is saying there is that God will put his desires into your heart and then fulfill them. That's not the way we like to translate because we want to say, well, God will fulfill the desires of my heart. So I'm going to choose and God's going to make it happen. But that's counterintuitive uh, to everything else God says. So that's, can't be the de- that can't be the translation of that sentence because it disagrees with everything else. I believe God puts his desires in your heart, and then he fulfills them. But the only way that can truly happen is if you submit, be obedient. That's more important than all the things you're going to do for God is submit to him. And then he will accomplish whatever he desires 
with your life. And it may not always be the path that you want to go down. I got a text from a guy that is, that is um, also running for state representative, and I've developed a really good relationship with him. He's a solid guy, good Christian man. And he texted me a couple nights ago, and he was frustrated with, with everything political, which I stay frustrated. And he said, that the, little, the little text said, why am I working so hard for a job I never wanted? I'm like, yes, that's, that's it. Because here's the reason. Because God said, do it. There'll be some time, right now I'm not enjoying it. There'll be a time in the future where I go, yeah, this is part of the reason. Oh, yeah, this is it. And I'm already experiencing those. But this is it. You guys, sometimes you've got to wade through mud in obedience to God because he knows what he's doing and you don't always understand it. But if your goal is to not ever wade through mud, then you're going to miss what God has got planned. If your goal is, I'm going to always walk on, on hard ground, well then, if God has you to go down into the mud, you'll never get there because that's not part of your paradigm. It's not part of your existence. You are not allowing that to be uh, an option for God. I've seen this for years and years. Lynn and I have talked about this ad nauseum over the years. Is well, we'll talk to pastor friends of ours, and um, you know they're, they're, they'll call me up or something. They'll say, um, "Hey, uh, do you know of any churches that are looking for pastors in Colorado Springs?" And I'll say, "Well, I know of a church in um, just use one without a church. I know of a, I know of a church in Pumpkin Center." That's, that's looking for a pastor, and they're like, no, um, I, I want to stay in the Colorado Springs area. You know what my first reaction is? Then I can't help you. If you're wanting help from me, I'll tell you places that are looking for pastors, but if your criteria is I will only go to a certain place in a certain state at a certain time under these conditions and make this much money and do this, then you're talking to the wrong guy because you've already irritated me so bad I'm not going to tell you anything. If you say to God, God, I'll do what you want, I'll go anywhere you want, that's submission and surrender. But if you say, God, I will serve you, but it has to be this way under these categories, under these circumstances, then are you really submitted to God or are you just asking God to do to bless what you've decided? This, I, I had this conversation recently with Muddy, but we were um, just in, I think it may have been today, my brain is a little muddy, but we were talking about... Um, doing what God has asked us to do. And then somebody said, well, yeah, under these circumstances. I'm like, the one, once you start putting criteria, you've already missed it. If you really want to be submitted to God, you won't have criteria. When God said, Abraham, start walking, I'll tell you when you get there. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to walk toward the nearest pretty mountain range, and I'm going to stop there. He said, God said, go where I tell you, and I'll let you know when you get there. And obedience says, I'll just do that. God, whatever, whatever that is, I'll do that. But that's not how we look at this. Asking, this, this was the conversation that I had, it was today. Somebody said, if, if, if we're not willing to go anywhere and do anything, then we're not really submitted to God. I know that's not popular in American Christianity. 
We want to go where we want, do what we want to do, and then we just ask God to bless us. And then we wonder why we struggle so much in our Christian walk, why we struggle with depression so much, why our marriage struggles, why our family struggles, all this other kind of stuff. Because not only have you limited God's scope for your life, but if you're a parent of children, then you are also limiting your spouse and you're also limiting your children's scope in God. If God says, well, I want you guys to go here, why? Because it's not just you that God is leading and guiding. He's also got your children's plan. He he wants them to be in this school or this setting or in this community thing. But you didn't even take that as as a possibility, and so you disqualified God's will for your kids too because you decide, well, this is where I'm going to live. This is, where, this is what I'm going to do. I have, I have, especially just being in Texas recently and coming back, people in Texas are like, oh, you pastor in Colorado Springs. I've always prayed that God would send me to Colorado Springs. I never prayed that. But I love Colorado Springs. Now, I have prayed, and I've mentioned to God since I've been here, God, if it's your will, I wouldn't mind staying here the rest of my life. I want to pastor church at Briargate the rest of my life. And I tell them, God, if anybody else in the church doesn't like that, you're going to have to help them because that's what I'm going to do. I say that, but really at the end of the day, God knows my heart. God, I'll go where you want. I know people right now, I know the reason they're struggling in their relationship with God is because they're scared that God will tell them to do whatever. And if they really surrender to God, they're scared that God will send them or do something or whatever. And he, here's, a, here's the weird part about that. They don't actually know for sure that God would. They're just scared that he might. So they don't let go and let God be in charge. Lynn and I have seen this for years. Parents that won't let their children go. We could tell you stories. People that are our age that never did what God told them to do because their parents controlled them and held them back. Now, at some point, you're like, well, couldn't they make that decision? Yes, they, sh- they could and should. But there's also this, this, you've built an entire life doing this. How do you break away from that? Guys, really saying, God, I'll just do what you tell me to do. It may seem scary. It may, whatever. But if you'll just make your priority, Lord, I submit and surrender to you. That's it. Lord, I submit to you. I surrender to you. Don't, don't try to anticipate what that could mean. Just go there. Lord, I submit to you. I, I hate to put caveats to it because I don't want to overdo that, but I don't necessarily think that means God immediately begins to you know, send you to China or something like that. But here's the thing. He might. Here's one of the things that I've seen specifically as we get older, saying because I'm getting older too, is I believe that the boomer generation, um, down to what I would say would be about 60 years old right now, um, <clears throat> has the most money, the most free time, the most knowledge, the most understanding and resources in any time in the history of the world, of any people in anywhere on the planet, American boomer generation. I believe that God has called many of them to go be missionaries somewhere. Go do something for God. But we have been trained in America so long that my goal in life is to get an RV or to, 
to um, golf every day or, you know, all the things, right? Just put whatever you like in there. Um, and we've been trained that way. And it's about our retirement, our 401k, or whatever the things are. And I'm not saying those are bad things. Please don't misunderstand. But what could God do with a person that just says, I'll go? Specifically, certain countries, the older you are, the more respected you are automatically. I saw this when we were in India. Um, Jerry Tuttle was with us. It was Jerry and Nur and I, and of course, they're both like at 80. But Jerry, you know, he's got the big white beard, and he, and he, um, you know, he, he looks like a wise old man, you know, kind of thing. And wherever he went, people would just gravitate toward him. And I'm just standing there like crickets. I'm like, I'm the pastor. Why? I'm the, I'm the man. Jerry, Jerry's not. Actually, he is, but you know. But because why? That big white beard immediately respect, and many of uh, specifically those types of countries, countries that people don't live very old. And he, I mean, he was like a rock star. One time, me and Nur were standing off. This was like in an airport in China or something. I don't remember. It was a while back, but. Nur and I were just standing there, and all these people were just flocking around Jerry. He's just trying to walk. And all these young people are just flocking around Jerry. And I look over at Nur, and I said, I, I don't think we're very important. He says, we're not important at all. Because Jerry. Guys, think, think what God could do with you. And I'm here, somewhere else, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. But think what God would do if you just say completely, God, I surrender and submit. I take all my goals, and I put them on your table. I take all my desires and I just, you know, in Romans 12, I put them on your altar. I take everything that's me and I just put it on your altar. I surrender everything that is me and I put it on your altar. And if God desires to bring fire down and burn it all up, then so be it. Because my goal and desire is, God, what do you desire? What do you want? Right? Thoughts, stuff. Things. Don't you trust God to to know what you need and where you need to be and what you need to be doing? That's I know that's difficult. I, and everything I'm saying tonight, understand, is very challenging. It's not simple like I'm saying it. Okay, just this thought process that I'm verbalizing right now. It took me two or three years where God is working on me every single day to get to the point where I was willing to go here. God had to tear all the stuff down that I was expecting to see in life, ministry, everything. But he will take you where he needs you and where you need. He'll do what, with you what you need, which is always best. It's not always the funnest. I, I just read a thing today that irritated me. I was looking at a commentary of some stuff, and it said in there that, um, that everything that God does, he does ultimately for your happiness. Like, no, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. That's actually anti-Scripture. That's humanism. He does it 
for your obedience and your life and your existence. And he does bring joy and he does bring peace. But God, I don't think God is ultimately concerned with our happiness in a temporal sense. Because it's so iffy. It's so relative. You give me a big old thing of bacon, I'm happy. An hour later, guess what I want? More bacon and now I'm sad. Well. Yeah. This is why I've been saying for years, I really believe that earth is the boot camp for the, for the real service. Earth is boot camp. We're getting trained, developed, all that kind of stuff. To be what? Part of the royal priesthood, part of the joint heirs with Jesus. All these other things that he's got planned. We're just, we're just being developed and trained. And why are we being developed and trained? Because we, we failed and we were broken and now he's got to rebuild that and rebuild us. Because we chose something besides the perfection that he had designed us to walk in. Yes, sir. And, and that's a th- we've, we've got to be careful that we don't um, try to make what God, what we think God wants happen. We've got, we got to be careful we don't try to make it happen. Okay? But at the same time, we have to be willing to go there whenever God says go there, whatever that is. And there's a, there's a balance there. He wants you to be pushing forward. He wants you to be striving. He wants you to be trying, all this kind of stuff. But you're doing it because it's flowing out of your relationship and submission to him every day rather than this is my direction or my goals. Russell, did you? James is a smart guy. Yeah, that's, that's where our challenge lies is to say, okay, God, and then I submit to you, I surrender to you. That, I, you know, I think I know, I, I think I'm a pretty smart guy and I know a lot of stuff, but it's amazing when I submit to the Lord how some of those things seem very shallow all of a sudden. You know, he still, he still wants you to, to go forward. He still wants you to try. He still wants you to do all those things. But what is the reason that you're doing them? Is it because it is, it's that submission to God, or is there something else driving that? Yes.
Yeah. So, so how do we pray? What, what, what do we do with this? We don't just go, oh, that's nice, and leave. What do we do? What is God saying to us? How do we pray about this? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah, this is, um, I think that's a very good exercise to do something along those lines. Um, I've done things like that over the years where you really have to, to do something physical to represent in your spirit what the Holy Spirit's trying to do with you on a spiritual level. Um, a lot of the ways that I do this, I pray this every single day. This is a regular daily prayer for me. This is how I start my day. And, I, and it comes from when John said, that I may decrease so that you may increase. John the Baptist said that in the book of John. And um, so, so I go through this list of prayer stuff. Not my will, but yours, God. Not my plans, but yours. If there's anything that I'm wanting to do or be or plan or whatever, and it's not you, take it off the table. Put, put something in my spirit that doesn't want that, that will reject that and resist that. Why do I pray those things? Why? Because my, it's my natural proclivity to want those things. So I've got to be intentional about not uh, praying against not wanting or, or pray against wanting those things. Because it's my natural bent. This is not easy, but it's, it's every day. Lord, you, you made the day I didn't. You're king, I'm not. You're God, I'm not. Lord, you're the one who decides that the planet spins, not me. Lord, you decide my life, not me. And you just systematically go through the stuff. God, not my plans, not my will, not my desires, not my... And then when it comes to the issues, this is where... Here, here's where I pray this. Is when I get really irritated with Linda, I will begin to pray, God, she's not the problem, I am. You know how many times i got to say that before I believe it? I don't know what the end number is yet. <laughs> right? Because Why? I can spend all, all day trying to figure out what Linda needs to do different. Or I can say, God, I'm not the creator. I didn't create her. I didn't create me. I didn't create marriage. I didn't create life. Help me to submit to you. Help me to surrender to you. Help me submit to her. You guys know I'm saying stuff that's not easy to do. So I think that's how we pray about that tonight. Lord, but, I, but, I, but I like what Suzanne is saying. I think... If you can do something, if you can put some physical, tangible things to this, man, that would be good. A list or something or, or a daily reminder or, or something. You know, just, just put some, some alarm reminders in your phone that just pops up every now and then and quotes James. Don't think too highly of yourself. You say, well, that's kind of discouraging. The problem we have in America right now is we think we can't be discouraged. We can't have our psyches messed with or anything. and We can't ever fail. You know where most of my successes have come from? Failing. This idea, everybody get a trophy. That's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the kids. 
Kids need to fail to understand failure and success. All right, I could, I could continue on. So let's pray. God, we submit to you. Lord, I don't want that just to be words in my mouth. I want that to be the true meditations of my heart. That I want your will. That I want what you want. Not, not, not what I think or not what I think life should look like. Um, Lord, I pray that about Church of Briargate, that you make it what you want, not what I think it should look like. God, I'll lead Church of Briargate the way you desire. That's my heart. God, I'll lead my family the way you desire. Lord, I just want your will, not my will. God, I pray that for every one of us in this, in this room. Lord, wherever you got to take us to, to get us to, to kind of look through the fog and see all the, look through all the stuff and see truth. But Lord, I submit to you. Help me to choose that and that only. And then, God, you choose all the other stuff. I choose submit to you, surrender to you, your will, not mine, not my desires, not my plans, not my goals, but yours. And Lord, when I begin to push back against that and I begin to build my own desires and plans, God, that, that you will convict me and you'll, you'll pull me back to you and help me to just do what you've asked me to do. God, and if there's any convincing in any of our hearts, you convince us of what you want us to know, not what I think we should know. And we pray this for your glory ultimately, Lord God. We just want, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be the king. We want you to be in charge and control. We want you to lead and guide we submit to you. We don't submit to anything or anybody else. We submit to you. And God, as we do that, you will show us where we submit in our life, who we submit to, why. But Lord, our, our ultimate is you. We just surrender to you, your will and your plan. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I pray that this will get in your head and under your skin and you can't get rid of it. All right? All right, that's a wrap. A lot of the ladies will be gone this weekend to Ladies Retreat. Let's be praying for them. Um, I'm going to go down some and help with worship, and then I'll be back Sunday morning. Uh, excited to be here for service. We'll see you then. Have a great rest of your evening.